First rule of public speaking, move all things off the stage, especially if it's me. Bread for today, bread for tomorrow. That's our theme. I want to start by just uh, going back in time a little bit. Somebody just said a few moments ago that they were 46. I'm 46 plus a little bit. Because in 1976, I studied my A-levels. And I remember that year, not just for my A-levels, but for something else that some of you who are more mature in years will also remember. And that is that the sun shone and shone and shone and shone. And in the first part of that summer, it was the most frustrating thing possible because I was studying for my A-levels. And I was inside when I wanted to be outside. And in the second half of the summer, it was the best thing that ever happened. Because I spent almost the entire summer on my bicycle with friends, just cycling through the country, realizing it's not going to rain, it's not going to rain. They even appointed a minister for drought. And he made an alarming assertion in the, in the press, which was that because of the shortage of water, he was going to share his bath with his wife, <laughs> which caused a sensation in the media. This was in the days before showers. And so the summer of 1976 went down in the history books as one of the hottest summers on record in our country. And you know, in this last summer... I've had exactly the same feelings I had that summer. The sun is just shining and shining. It's going to just keep on shining and shining and shining. And another miracle happened this summer. In July, Jane and I, my wife, we went to North Wales for a week's holiday. And for the first time in my entire life of visiting Wales, (laughs) I entered the nation and exited the nation without any problems with the weather. And to my Welsh friends in the congregation, can I say that is a miracle? (laughs) Because I've been on holiday in Wales at least 20 times and suffered great painful experiences with the weather. But this summer was an exception. It was perfect from the beginning to the end. Not a drop of rain or even the threat of it. And so our summer was hot and dry. And it was hotter And it was hotter. And on one day I was flying out to go to Africa and I ended up in Heathrow and I saw on the news just before entering the aeroplane that Heathrow was the hottest place in the UK. I was in the hot spot of the UK. One of the hottest days of the year. Do you remember all those? That seems a long time ago now, doesn't it? This was the reality we experienced in our weather. But the experts are telling us that these hot summers, we've had a few others, are going to become more frequent because the climate is beginning to change. Now, for us, it doesn't matter so much. You see, we've got an amazing system of irrigation. We can get water out there. Some farmers suffered, but it wasn't a catastrophe. Some livestock farmers found it particularly difficult, but they found ways of overcoming it. Food prices might go up a little bit, but we've coped, haven't we? 
we've coped with that weather. On that day in Heathrow at the end of July, I flew from Heathrow via a couple of countries to Zambia. And the plane stopped in the capital city of Zimbabwe, Harare. Now, Zimbabwe has been under a great dictatorship, terrible dictatorship for many years, and its agricultural system has collapsed. And as uh, we got to Harare, uh, a black African Zimbabwean got on board the airplane. He sat next to me in a vacant seat, and he started talking to me in the last leg of my journey to Zambia, just about one hour's flying. And we talked for an hour. Very friendly man. Where are you going? I'm going back to the States. Do you live in the States? Yes, I live in the States. Where do you come from? I come from Zimbabwe. Why did you leave Zimbabwe? Because of all the political chaos. And I got uh, opposition from the government and threats of imprisonment, so I left the country. And what did your family do in Zimbabwe? We own land. Oh. And I'm thinking of going back to Zimbabwe now because there's a new government, and I want to do something with the land. And I said, well, what's going on with the land in Zimbabwe? I've heard things are hard. Is it the political system that makes it hard? And he looked at me in the aeroplane and he said to me very, very firmly, no, I'll tell you what our problem is. The climate is changing. I was a boy on that farm in the days of the white government, he said, and our farm was productive and the other white farmers were very productive. And when I go back to Zimbabwe... The rains don't come at the same time, and the rains are less. And he said to me in the airplane, do you know what? The climate is changing. Now, I've just come from Britain, where the climate has been it's getting a bit hotter in the summers, generally speaking, and we're coping. What's happening in Africa with the same thing happening? Drought. Serious problems with food. You see, as our world is gradually warming up, it's called global warming, one thing the scientists have discovered is that as a result of this, which is caused by human activity mainly, burning of fossil fuels and other things, industrial processes, as a result of this, the rainfall cycle changes around the world. And so in our world today, there is the beginning of the changing of this process which produces two opposite results. Sometimes you get more rain, more intense rain, flooding, long periods of intense rain, and sometimes you get less and less rain and longer periods of no rain or drought. And this isn't just an opinion. This is the overwhelming majority opinion of the scientists in our world, sponsored by the United Nations, who've been researching this. The second biggest scientific project humanity has ever undertaken is to look at climate, involving thousands of researchers all over the world, and they think these things are beginning to happen. Whenever I travel in 
developing countries, I always ask people, what's happening with your rainfall? That's an opening conversational question. And it's not a kind of British, how is the weather? It's a, it's a searching question. And on working trips, I've been to, in recent years to Malaysia and several parts of Africa. And I've never, I've always had the same answer. Our climate is changing and agriculture is getting a little bit harder. Now that causes me to think. People are struggling. We have the resources in our country to ride out minor difficulties that we face. We have incredible resources in a very advanced agricultural and water system. But not everybody has that. And in hotter climates, this changing rainfall is a more intense process than in climates like ours. So you get more severe issues in those climates. That's a new perspective on harvest, perhaps. And I'll come back to it in a minute, towards the end. But I want to just think for a moment, <coughs> contextualize that with just thinking, well, what are the fundamental things that the, the Bible tells us about food and things like that? There's an amazing promise that God made in the time of Noah, which I'm just going to read, uh, Genesis 2 verse, sorry, 8 verse 22. As long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Even after the great flood, God promised that he was going to give a stability, an essential stability to our world so that we can live. And that's a promise to all mankind. And we live in the good of that promise. And it's interesting that when he formed his own people, Israel, one of the biggest gifts he gave to them, which is often forgotten, is land. And people think a lot about this land of Israel. But the, one of the most important significance of it is he said to his people, I'm going to give you land for every single family, every single tribe. So if you were an Israelite in the ancient world, you would have some land. And the Israelites loved the fact that they had land, not just a few big rich landowners, but all the small families and clans, they all had some land that they could call their own. And that's why we read, for example, in the Psalms, Psalm 104, well-known passage often used in harvest, when the psalmist is reflecting on this incredible provision of land. He says he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. This is the Israelite people saying, thank you, God, for our land. You bring forth the food. But you gave us the land. And even the people who didn't have land could pick up the harvest on the edge of the field. The widows, the foreigners, the orphans.
And when we come to the New Testament, I noticed recently particularly that food is quite a big topic. Have you ever noticed that? Just a few examples. We're coming back to the issue of food particularly. When John the Baptist came to preach, you remember John the Baptist down by the River Jordan, that hairy prophet who lived in the wilderness and dressed in crazy clothes and uh, ate some odd food. And he came to the people of Israel and he caused them to prepare for Jesus' coming. And he gave a message saying, come on, you guys, you've got to change. And one of the first things that he said to them is something hardly anyone's ever noticed, I think. What should we then do, the crowd asked, Luke 3, verse 10. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. So right at the beginning of John's ministry, he said, if you want to be right with God, if you want to live a good life with God, consider your material resources and start sharing them. Starting with food. And when Jesus had 5,000 people on the mountainside, he said to his startled disciples, you give them something to eat. Five loaves and two fishes multiplied miraculously. And when the church started in Jerusalem, the first problem they had in the church virtually was a problem of food distribution. Almost at the very beginning of the church, Acts 6 verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So if you thought a food bank is a modern idea, think again. The very first church that ever existed in all of the history of the church had a food bank or a daily distribution of food, which is more or less the same thing. And there was an argument about people not getting enough access to the food because they were the wrong social group and they spoke the wrong language. So the apostles had to sort that out and make sure everything was free and fair. Somebody once told me, who knows about these things, that when archaeologists discovered a very, 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 very ancient church, one of the most early churches ever to be discovered, the earliest church in archaeological terms, they discovered a small building with two rooms on two floors. One room here and one room above, maybe the second century AD. And the archaeologists said, we know what those rooms were used for. The upstairs room was a meeting room. And are you going to guess what the downstairs room was? A food store. One of the earliest known church buildings. And the church hadn't been going long and had established itself in a city called Antioch when a strange prophecy came. Acts 11.27, during this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. There's food again. This happened during the reign of Claudius, the emperor. The disciples 
As each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did by sending the gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Well, just those few references show us some interesting things. Food is right there in the heart of the early church. Provision of food is fundamental. And we're even called to pray every day, Lord, give us today our daily bread. So today we're just consolidating and reflecting on the fact that our church has chosen very consciously over many years, now and in the past, to prioritize this issue of human provision in our ministry and in our life. And to focus significantly on the human provision of food. And I want to just discuss very briefly just a number of ways in which we do this. Karen's already told us eloquently, and I don't need to repeat it, about the food bank. That's the inside of the food bank if you've never been there. You're welcome to see that live in a few minutes' time. Food Bank and Food Bank Plus is a core work of this church. And we're grateful for your support for it. Its work has been explained very well. But alongside that, I've had the privilege of being allowed and commissioned by this church to work in an organization called Jubilee Plus, picture of a conference coming up there on the board, where we, I go around the whole country talking to churches and helping them with things like food banks. Yesterday, I was in Cumbria meeting representatives of 12 churches in Cumbria and the region talking about food poverty and other issues and helping them develop their resources to serve the poor in their community. And I'm grateful for the support this church has given that's enabled me to travel and do those things. If you want to find out more, come and talk to me afterwards. But there's more. We're also involved with our sister charity, Bread Trust, in two countries that in which we are prioritizing food and provision. The motto of Bread Trust is share your bread with the hungry. And in Ukraine, for many years, we've been supporting feeding programs, and now we're supporting poor churches, refugees, and other needy groups all over the country, as represented by the map. The dots on the map represent churches and communities that we are directly connected to, and Phil Downward is helping pioneer the next phase of development of that work for Bread Trust. It's a very poor country, many needy people. But then recently we've added in one more thing for Bread Trust, and that is a farming project, back to food again. Back to Zambia, the country I mentioned early on that I visited this summer. And through Bread Trust we're sponsoring a farming program that helps farmers in arid countries make enough food to live on and something for the market. Now, in Central Africa, as in other places, rainfall is diminishing, drought is increasing, and we're sponsoring our uh, partners in Zambia, our church partners in Zambia, in a scheme called 
foundations for farming. Let me just tell you the secret of it. The guy who invented this idea, a Zimbabwean farmer, was trying to work out how to help poorer people make the most of very little land in dry climate. And one day he went for a walk in a wood near his home in Zimbabwe. And he went into the wood and into the forest area. And he noticed, you know what it's like in the forest, you have all this thick vegetation on the ground. And he looked at it and he said, no one's ever plowed this. But there's a lot of moisture in the soil. And then he had an, a brilliant idea. For smallholders, people with a little bit of land, commercial farmers have the ability to plough effectively because of all the machinery, but for smallholders, he invented the idea, or he suggested the idea, let's not plough up the land because he suddenly realised if there's a lot of plants and root systems in the soil, it retains moisture. There's much more moisture in the soil. And in a dry climate, that really matters. So he invented the idea, which is the key idea here. Rather than a smallholder, rather than digging everything up and plowing it, just dig individual holes very, very cleanly, very clearly, very deep, if needed, to plant your maize and other staple crops. And look after those plants very carefully with watering and nurturing, very methodical system. And through this method, they have had an enormous increase in productivity for smallholders, people with a little bit of land. And it was so successful, they've called it Foundations for Farming. So in an interesting way, this church is closely connected to food. And I'm not talking about the men's breakfast. You know, we always have the joke about the men's breakfast and it came back again this morning. Yes, we do like bacon. And the ladies have their preferences too. I don't know what they eat at tea and testimony, but I've heard some rumors. But you know, I'm not talking about any of those things. Our church believes that out of worship to God and thankfulness for the fact he has provided enough for us, that we are called not to just become consumers, but to become sharers. We want to share with people right here in this town, like the people Karen described. We want to share with people across the country by sharing the things we've learned. And we want to share with people in Ukraine, with people in Zambia, and no doubt in the future in other places as well. And that's what we're kind of celebrating today, that that's our culture. And you're part of that culture in one way or another, and we're grateful for your support. So if you're interested in finding out more about any of those things I've mentioned, there's three websites that are just coming up on the screen. You may know them, but if you don't know any of them, you can identify them, and find out more. But today is a day of thanksgiving for what God has given us and a commitment to keep sharing. 
And I want to particularly thank those volunteers of Food Bank who've come here, especially this morning, to join our service. You might not normally be here. We want to say we're very grateful for your partnership and for your presence here in our meeting. Let's stand together, and we're going to worship in a moment, if the musicians could come. But I want to just read these words again, then ask Charlie to lead us, because we want to come back to our God, our provider, and say with the psalmist, he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. Lord, we thank you that we worship, we can worship you today as the great provider And we want to share what you've given us, Lord. And we thank you for this day. Amen. Let's sing together.